What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We are your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today, we have a very special guest, as you guys can probably see in the title. We have Mitchell Marcus, uh, one of my good friends from high school. I don't even know if a lot of you know who he is from season one, but he was featured on season one, episode six, the last episode of season one. So he's back today to talk some soccer with us. I think last time he was on the show, we talked about the whole college football conference changes and everything like that. And we talked about the money side of it and everything. So that was a really good episode. If you haven't listened to that, it's still relevant now. It's one of those episodes that is kind of timeless. It's not based on current events. Um, So you can go listen to that. Again, it was season one, episode six. So you'll have to You'll have to scroll a little bit of a way, but, uh, but yeah, definitely go listen to that. But Mitchell, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Very excited to be back. Thank you for having me once again. And excited for this time. I get to talk about something a little more in my wheelhouse. Last time it was college football and the redraft of all of the, all of the um, conferences. But this time it's the Premier League, which I'm very well versed in. So I look forward to talking, with, talking about it with you guys. Yeah, of course. Mitchell is, yeah, he, like he said, he's very knowledgeable about Premier League and just soccer in general. So he will definitely kind of take the lead on, on this segment coming up. We're going to have Premier League first, and then we're going to have a college football second seg- segment second. And then our third segment is going to be a little bit of NBA talking about Marcus Smart. As you guys know, he's uh, he's been in the news recently, pretty much, well, recently to us, but, you know, right after game two, everybody was talking about how good he he played and everything like that. So we'll get to him at the end of the podcast. But Matt, how are you? I am great on this amazing week and weekend of sports. I mean, come on. What are we talking about? we got the PGA Championship. Just just the cut line has been decided. Okay, Tiger made it by a stroke. We don't really care about him. We care about uh, Mito Pereira. And uh, who else? Is oh, Will Torres is actually winning the PGA right now. So how about that? Um, that'll be a crazy finish, especially after, you know, obviously Rory and Justin Thomas are in it too. But um yeah, and then we have the Preakness Stakes tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, I think it's at like 7-ish, kind of the same time as the Kentucky Derby. We have the F1 race in Spain on Sunday. It, and obviously, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the, all the EPL action right here that we're going to be talking about with Mitchell. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a great weekend of sports just because there's no, uh, you know, football on, really. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean that, that uh, you can't be watching sports because obviously then you have the NBA playoffs, you have the NHL playoffs. I mean, it, it, it's all going on. So, so it's a perfect time to be a sports fan. Um, and it's also a perfect time to be, uh, you know, engaging, listening to podcasts, finding out about what's going on, getting some inside information. Uh, that's what we're here to bring you. Yes, sir. That is right. Now, without further ado, let's get right into it. We're going to go into English Premier League with Mitchell here. He's got a little write up here. So I just say, hey, Mitchell, take the lead on this one. Got you. So for those of you that don't know, English Premier League is the top division of English soccer. And the divisions of soccer are kind of different than you would find like an NBA or it's more similar to an MLB where there are like minor leagues. But rather than players getting called up, It's team by team. So teams get relegated and promoted amongst the divisions in England. And each each division has 20 to 24 teams. And obviously the most popular one and the most popular one in the world is the English Premier League, which is their top division. And this whole season takes place over 38 weeks, 38 match weeks, they're called. So right now we're sitting at right the front of match week 38. They've played 37 of their games. So it's the last one. And unlike the rest of the season where the games are kind of sporadic and 
spread out based on the schedule of other competitions. All of these games are played on Sunday at the same time, so one result can't affect another. And this is really important because this year, for the first time in a while, there are so many things at stake on the last day. It's not all wrapped up. The first of which is the title. It hasn't been decided yet, and it's between Man City and Liverpool. And they have kind of been fighting back and forth for a few years, so that's pretty exciting to see it come down to them again. But in the 29 years that the Premier League's been in its so-called modern era since it became uh, the Barclays Premier League back then. But since then, the last day has only the title has only been decided on the last day nine total times, including this one. So it's pretty rare that the title comes down to the last day rather than a team just wrapping it up pretty early. And like I said, it's between Man City and Liverpool right now. And right now they're separated by one point after 37 weeks. And for those of you that don't know, in soccer, it's three points win, one point draw, zero points loss. So after 37 matches, to be one point behind their behind the leader is very impressive by both teams, obviously. So look forward to seeing that. And some other storylines we got coming into this are pretty much anything else to play for. So Champions League, to qualify for that, which those of you who don't know, is just like the, the midweek competition where teams from different European leagues, the top leagues, obviously, compete for spots in this tournament where they play each other in pool play and then a knockout tournament to become crowned the champions of Europe, not just champions of their own league. But so in the Premier League, the top four spots get those. So that's still up for grabs between Tottenham and Arsenal, who are very bitter rivals, crosstown rivals, they both in North London. And then also, like I mentioned before, with promotion and relegation, that's still to fight for. So the bottom three player or bottom three teams, pardon, in the Premier League get relegated at the end of the season. And the top three of the next division kind of switch places with them. And the bottom two of the Premier League are decided. However, the last one is still up to play between Burnley and Leeds, who are level on points, but Burnley holds a much better goal differential. So a few things with that. And then finally, the top score is, it's called the, uh, the golden boot in soccer. That's still yet to be decided, which is between Mo Salah on 22 goals and Kwang Min Son on 21 goals. And they play for Liverpool and Tottenham respectively. So Bunch going on in the Prem. I know it's a lot to keep up with, but the first thing is obviously what most people will be excited for, which is the title race. So Man City and Liverpool have basically shared the stage of Premier League for the last four or five years. I believe City has won four of the last five titles, and Liverpool was the one that they didn't. And they came down to one point a couple seasons ago where City won the league by one point on us, but they were in the driver's seat the whole time. So not as exciting, but Obviously, on Sunday, we'll see who wins those. And Liverpool, as I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm very, very excited for their game because, like I said, there are a bunch of competitions, such as the Champions League, the Premier League, and they've got domestic cups as well. Liverpool have played in both domestic cup finals and one. So they already have two trophies to the name. So if they win the Premier League, which we'll find out on Sunday, and then the Champions League, which we'll find out a week later, they will do what's called the quadruple which is four trophies in a season, which has never been done by an English club. So history is on the line for them, not only with just this one title. So a lot going on there. And like I said, the goal difference can be a decider, but not for this one. So the only way goal difference would be a decider is if City loses and uh, Liverpool ties. But unfortunately, the title would then go to City in that case because they have six better goal difference. So that's pretty close. And then the more exciting one is that the relegation battle they're level on points, but Burnley holds a much better goal difference. So basically in their games, which they, which they both play at the same time, 
whoever has the better result stays in the Premier League. And from a money standpoint, that's unfathomable because going down to the championship, you lose so much more money compared to being in the Prem. And it's sometimes very catastrophic for a club to go down. They'll often find themselves getting relegated year after year. So Burnley and Leeds have just as much to play for at the bottom of the table as City and Liverpool do at the top. With money dispersion as well, Champions League is a huge key to signing new players and getting a huge bonus from being in the Champions League. And Spurs and Arsenal have been kind of in and out of that fourth spot, which is the cutoff for Champions League all season. And all Tottenham have to do is get a point and they're through the Champions League. But if they lose and Arsenal somehow finds themselves winning, then it would be crazy. And North London would probably become a little bit of a uh, little bit of a scrap between these people because bitter rivals, like I said. And we could just see some some crazy dramas. So please tune into the Prem if you do not watch it. If nothing else, this is me advertising the beautiful game. So yeah, tune in. All right. Well, um, that's a, that was an amazing synopsis by Mitchell there. I again, me and Hayden are both. I well, I, I'm, I probably follow a little bit more than Hayden, but even yeah. still, I'm not. You know, we're not super up to date on everything that's going on. So that's why the, the podcast is so timely um, and amazing that we have uh, an expert in our in our midst here. So. I kind of want to go back to obviously the top of the table here. We have Man City and Liverpool. They're the only teams that could win it. Um, Chelsea and Tottenham are also, you know, have, have been good this season. But I think over the past few, and, and forgive me, I don't, I can't really rattle off the EPL champions for the last <laughs> however many years. But I feel like, I mean, I think because I know Chelsea won the Champions League last year. Did they also win the EPL last year? They did not. Um, City won the Premier League last year, but obviously by by qualification the years before Chelsea. Okay. Champions League. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where I was getting at. Is like pretty much for the last, I guess, you know, four or five years, it's pretty much been Man City and Liverpool kind of, you know, either one of them duking it out for for kind of the top of the Champions League. And then before that, kind of the five or ten years prior, you obviously had Man United and, and, and Arsenal, I feel like, were probably the two the two biggest uh, kind of since then. So I guess um, I guess kind of my, my first question here is, and because we went over it, you know, you have the Champions League kind of going on at the same time. Um, obviously, there's there's other leagues, but as we've discussed, the Champions League is probably probably the biggest because it's all of you know it's all of Europe. It's not just England. It's not just you know Germany, whatever it may be. So so Liverpool is competing for both, right? And and they're actually playing Real Madrid in the Champions League final, which is a week, like Mitchell said, a week after uh, they 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 kind of wrap up the EPL for this weekend. Um, so is and and I know that sometimes. Obviously, you know, this is probably their biggest stage and they want to win. So they're going to try out their best players. But I know that sometimes, a lot of times, football clubs will trot out like lesser like teams, basically. Like, like they'll come and like kind of bring like their their backups or whatever it may be. Um, if it's not really a game that they feel like they need to win or whatever. So I, I guess kind of what I want to understand a little bit better is like, these teams are pretty much, I mean, I mean, they're, you know, obviously they're, they're gunning for it. So a team like Liverpool right now who could win, obviously, you know, the EPL and the champions league, you know, within the next week or two here, um, they're kind of they're I mean, they're, they're going like full out. It's, it's the same players, it's the same everything for, for both of these leagues. Correct. I would say yes for city at this point, but Liverpool, they had a, a final of the FA cup last week on, I believe Saturday. And then a premier league game, they'd turn out and play it Wednesday. And between those two teams, their starting 11 had nine changes. So yeah, they basically do have to play their B team in the Premier League here because as far as money goes, I'm willing to bet that they make more by winning a Champions League. So they do have to kind of play a little, little squad roulette and change guys up, maybe play a youngster who's never played before. Who knows? And is there any limitations on, like, 
like set by the leagues about how much you're able to like play your top guys or not, or is it just, it's just a rest factor where it's like, we need all our guys to be hundred percent for the champions league. Cause that's like the most important one to win. So the EPL, we can kind of, you know, we're, we're just getting it's basically, basically load management as, as we see in the NBA happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely load management, but there's no real regulations. I want to say each, obviously 11 players on the field. I want to say each match for the premier league, they got a, like a 24 man roster. And they just have to name that like the day before, maybe the morning of. So we could not know who's playing until the morning of. And Mo Salah couldn't even be traveling with the team because they might want to rest. Yeah, well, I don't have much to say about Premier League. I um, Actually, the one thing that – and this is kind of off topic. We can get back on topic if we want to with – if Mitchell has any, you know, final remarks or any, anything like that. But the one thing that I do have to say about Premier League that – I have talked about in the past week was when I was on my cruise. Uh, I I don't even remember what day it was, but I was I was at a sports trivia thing, and one of the questions was which English Premier League team has have U.S. stars Tim Howard and Lyndon Donovan played for, and nobody in my group knew who it was, and I was like, hey, I think I might know. And it, yeah, it was Everton and I said Everton and um, it turned out to be right. And I was super proud of myself because I was like, dude, I think I, rem- I remember Tim Howard playing for Everton. And I was like, dude, I don't know how I remember that for that moment. But yeah, I hadn't I hadn't even thought about English Premier League for probably at least a year up until that point. But I was pretty proud of myself there. But yeah, I mean, I have pretty much I've I haven't been following at all this season, so uh, unfortunately, I don't really have much input, but yeah, that's about it for me. <laughs> All right. So I have a couple other things here, unless, unless Mitchell, you have some, some other things to share. Um, so you talked about the top four at the end of the English Premier League, the top four qualify for the Champions League. And so I'm assuming that's for like next year's Champions League, right? Because it's obviously, okay, yeah. Um, so obviously we see that right now, uh, Arsenal and Man United, who I mentioned earlier as being kind of the, you know, the dynastic teams of kind of the last, I guess, right, before Man City and Liverpool had kind of taken over here. Um, they're actually fifth and sixth right now. So Arsenal's in fifth and, and, Man, City, and Man United is in sixth. Um, I, I know that I know for sure that Arsenal got off to a really slow start. Um, and Man United, I think, was was kind of getting off to a better start. Like they were definitely in the top four for most of the year and then kind of dropped down over the past few weeks. Um, obviously, you know, Ronaldo's playing for Man United and he's had some, you know, he had like a, like his problem with his kids or whatever. So that may have contributed to it, but kind of, um, Mitchell, just kind of give give an overview of, of kind of the, the the story behind both these teams this year, these storied, you know, franchises and in, in the whole, in the kind of the EPL history here. Um, and, and I guess kind of what their season was like this year, as well as kind of what you would think their outlook is for the next year or next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. So Arsenal, since they're just the higher seed right now, um, they got off to a historically bad start. They were actually in 20th, which last in the league for, I want to say after like three or four weeks, which is unheard of because these big clubs normally want to get off running, set the tone. But this was, uh, I believe, the first or second full season of their manager, um, Mikko Arteta, who's a former player of theirs. So obviously that's a huge thing in soccer when you bring in a, a new manager, specifically a former player. You have these, these, you want to see a big culture shift to the type of player they were. So Arsenal got off to a really poor start. And then some way midway through the season, they just started to find their feet a little bit more, got up into the, I, I believe they were sitting around 10th at Christmas, or that might be totally incorrect, but they were not in a very good place around Christmas, which is about the midnight midway point of the season. And over the last 
maybe seven to 12 weeks, they've gone in some crazy form, even though they're not necessarily pulling out the results they, they should against uh, smaller clubs has only been their problem. They'll draw against a terrible team or obviously they don't expect to win against Liverpool city, Chelsea, man United, but they go out there and compete with those clubs and then stoop down to the level of the lower clubs. So that's kind of been their Achilles heel this season. So it'll make tomorrow's or Sunday's game even more exciting. And then man United, they've, obviously got off to a little bit better of a start and they were in a pretty steady position throughout the year. And it was pretty early that uh, Man City and Liverpool set themselves apart. So Chelsea, Man United, Arsenal, Tottenham have really been fighting hard for the past, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 even weeks for this Champions League spot. And Man United has just steadily declined. They'll drop points to a like a, an average side like Leeds. And then they'll once again drop points that sides like Liverpool. But they really haven't done anything spectacular. Obviously, Ronaldo had his, his issues, his personal reasons. But it really hasn't come down to any one player for United. It's just been more that they, their manager's on the way out. They just hired a new one. So they're in the midst of a little culture shift, whereas Arsenal kind of found their, their, new, their new ways midway through the season. That was a very good question. Most people don't really think about how the 38 weeks unfold as a whole rather than just the last few. Yeah, well, it was funny because I was actually right before we started telling him that I was kind of doing a, like a little fantasy pick them thing uh, for pretty much the whole season. And I like, again, I don't I, I don't think I ever I don't think I even watched a second of like I didn't wake up on a Saturday morning and ever even like watch any of the games. But I was just kind of followed my picks. And that's just a trend that I noticed it was like I was picking Arsenal every single week at the, you know, at the beginning. I was just losing every single time. And then Man U kind of at the end. Right. I was picking them a lot. They were losing. So um, and obviously I kind of, you know, I mean, I'm, like read about it, read articles and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I think that was a, I think that was a great synopsis. And I think that I, that's a, that's, I think a perfect answer, right. Is kind of, we can kind of summarize this, conclude this by saying like, you know, right. Like you said, it was a little bit of a culture change for Arsenal to begin the season. Now they kind of found their stride. They started doing a lot better. Man United, obviously Ronaldo had his, had his kind of issues on the, on the personal side. And then they're kind of in, you know, kind of on their way into a culture change um, at the top as well. So I, I think that really makes sense. That completely answers the question. So uh, yeah. Hayden, what else you got to say, man? Come on. We got, we got to be up on this stuff. Bro. I, I told Mitchell and Matt that I would not be contributing anything to this conversation. And even when I did, you guys heard it was not related to anything this season. So <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, if if we're like Matt, do you have any more questions, or Mitchell, do you have anything else to 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 say about the season? Yeah, so I got one more thing, and I feel it would be unjust for me to come on here and not talk about betting at least a little bit. I have a little bit of a fiend for it. Yes. So obviously, the Golden Boot, like I said, top score is coming down to the last day. The odds on favorite is obviously Mo Salah. He's leading by one, but the tiebreaker, he's definitely going to win it because it's assists. So he is going to likely win that as he has been the league's league contributor in goals and assists at the moment but my kind of betting tip would be the player of the year is totally separate it's called the pfa player of the year the players football association votes on it that's i I don't exactly know who they are but they're qualified and they vote on it and right now the odds in obviously british odds so they might be a little different than odds you're used to are five to win two on mo salah and then four to win nine on Kevin De Bruyne. And for those of you that don't know, Kevin De Bruyne plays for City and is arguably the best midfielder in the world. I would consider him probably one of the best players in the world. And a lot of the time, the player of the year, just not by fault, but 
is often on the best team. And Mo Salah has actually been in very poor form recently. And like Matt was saying with load management, he might not even play. So if you want to make a little bit money, a little bit of money, possibly, and bet on some dogs instead of some favorites, I would say toss a little bit of money towards Kevin De Bruyne because he's a little bit of an underdog on player of the year and he's likely going to win the league as of Liverpool not being in, in uh, control of their own fate. And then bet on uh, Huang Min's son to win the golden boot because he's been in incredible form and you really never know what he's going to do. So that's my, my betting tips with Premier League. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, Matt. Matt's like shaking in his boots right now. At that, I'm like logging onto my apps right now. I'm like, right, so where's the player of the year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's 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 what's going on here. All right. Well, that was a great segment. Again, Mitchell did such a good job of explaining all that. Um, I was trying to follow most of it, and I, again, I some stuff I understood, some stuff I didn't. So, but I'm sure that you guys, even if you guys like watch a little bit of soccer, I'm sure that you followed all of that and um he did a really good job of kind of going through and explaining everything like we do here on first on rundown explaining kind of the you know from simple to more complicated and kind of given the bigger picture of things so and then some betting obviously so that was that was really good there all right so let's move on to college football so we're going to give kind of a rundown on this on the Nick Saban Jimbo Fisher situation that's been going on since around yesterday and again today is Friday May 20th so by yesterday, I mean Thursday, May 19th. So I saw all this stuff in the media yesterday that was talking about Nick Saban making comments on. And first, I saw first the stuff about Nick Saban making comments on Jackson State. So basically, if you guys don't know, Travis Hunter is the number one recruit coming into this uh, this year's recruiting class or this next year's recruiting class. And he plays, I think, cornerback and wide receiver. And he picked Jackson State which is the coach, I mean, the the team that's coached by Deion Sanders. I believe they are in HBCU as well. So they're getting some love, which is great. Um, but he picked Jackson State over Alabama and pretty much every other college in the country that gave Travis Hunter offers. And Nick Saban had something to say about that. He was not happy about it. And so he accused Jackson State of paying Tra- Travis Hunter a million dollars just to come to Jackson State. And now we know now that that's that's allowed because of NIL. And when I think of NIL, I think of like advertisements, you know, people, I mean, players signing with uh, with companies and being on commercials and stuff like that. Also, players getting money for their merchandise, you know, selling jerseys, everything like that. That's what I think of when I think of NIL. But I think we all forget that this is also part of it, that players technically can be paid in like any way possible. And so if that means, you know, the coach wants to pay the, a player out of his pocket, he can pretty much. And that's probably been happening for longer than we, than we thought it has been happening for. So, um, but again, we have no records of it because if, you know, if somebody was busted, they would be in the news and it hasn't really happened. um, I, I don't think ever in football, at least. So that's, kind of the situation with Jackson State and Nick Saban. But then Nick Saban went on to criticize even more um, and even more close to home for him, Jimbo Fisher, who he coached with at LSU. So Nick Saban was the head coach of LSU, I believe. And then I think Jimbo Fisher was the offensive coordinator of LSU. I'm not very sure, but um, they won a championship at LSU back in, I think, the early 2000s. And then they split they split ways 
Jimbo Fisher, I think he went to Florida State. I'm not sure. I know he, he coached at Florida State for a long time before Texas A&M, where he coaches now. But he went to Florida State, and then obviously Nick Saban went to Alabama. He's been in Alabama for so long since um, since that LSU team. So they both coached at LSU. They won a championship together, and then they split ways. And obviously Flor- Florida State is in the ACC. Um, Alabama is in the SEC. So Alabama and Florida State didn't really have a lot of chances to play each other except for kind of, you know, in the – championship game bcs national championship before the college football playoff formed and then after the college football playoff formed i don't think they've really had many chances to play each other then but um but yeah so then jimbo fisher moved to texas a&m um and he's the he's the head coach of texas a&m now and that's a big rivalry now because uh alabama and texas a&m play every year so texas a&m was actually one of the only team that gave um, Alabama a loss in the regular season. Well, I guess before, yeah, in the regular season, um, last season and they beat, I mean, they, it was a huge upset. Um, and Texas A&M beat Alabama at home and everything like that. So all of this has kind of been brewing. And then finally yesterday, there's a report that comes out uh, that says that Nick Saban is accusing Texas A&M who has the best recruiting recruiting class for next year. He's accusing Texas A&M of, pretty much buying their whole team. Um, he said something like that. I don't know what his exact words were, but he's accusing Texas A&M and obviously Jimbo Fisher of literally just buying their whole team. And he's saying that it's pretty much unfair to Alabama because now Alabama is at a huge disadvantage because he quote unquote, doesn't do that or doesn't pay players. And so now Alabama's not going to have, you know, their firepower compared to the rest of the sec, like they usually do. And the whole power dynamic is going to be messed up. That's what Nick Saban is mad about. And he voiced it in the media um, yesterday. And then he came out and apologized later on and was like, yeah, I'm sorry for what I said. Um, I shouldn't have said it that way, but he never really took back what he said. He never really said like, I, what I said was wrong. He just said, I was wrong for saying it basically. And that's kind of what he, what the, what the deal was. So I'm going to go ahead and pose this question to Matt. And I guess, I don't know, I, I, it's not really a question. I'm just kind of looking for Matt's thoughts on it. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of how NIL fits into paying players to come to college before they even play, like before they even have a chance to show if they'll be good or not in college? Um, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on Jimbo Fisher and, and Nick Saban and kind of college football as a whole um, during a time when college football isn't really talked about at all? Um, do we think that this is kind of just a ploy to – get college football in the news? Um, and do we think that, you know, the comments that Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher are fake and are, are making are fake, um, you know, are, cause they're, they are like technically friends, right? Before this, they, they had a relationship, so they could just be going back and forth saying, okay, well you just say this so we can make college football popular during the off season, or is this some actual beef that we need to be worried about? No, it's not. I mean, these guys are just, they're well, it, it's not a media stunt. Um, by any means, but it, cause it's like the stuff that they're saying is coming from, you know, like, I mean, that's, this is, this is what they truly think, but at the end of the day, they both coach in the SEC and the SEC is the best football conference ever. Um, and they're going to make it work. Right. And so they got to play each other. They're going to have to do SEC media days and whatever. They're going to get it buckled up before the season starts. But the main point here is the fact that, yeah, like the NIL is, this is the first off season right? Recruiting wise in which NIL has been legalized to where you can 
well, let me give the formal definition. Players can benefit monetarily off of their name, image, and likeness. But everybody's taking that way too far and basically just saying that we'll give you a bunch of bunch of money uh, if you come and play for our team. So that's why Nick Saban made the com- com- uh, the comments, which basically said that Texas A&M bought their players because they paid the players a bunch of money to come play for the team. And you're thinking, well, you know, shouldn't this be, you know, shouldn't some of this be like not, you know, not legal or, or, or you know, isn't some of this wrong? Like, no, that's the answer. And the reason is because there's no regulations around this. So the Supreme Court basically allowed this, you know, almost a year ago at this point, and basically, you know, they made it neat and legal. And so there's this whole, you know, everything started to blow up. But the problem was nobody ever made any regulations. Nobody ever made any anything that can kind of, you know, confine what we're going to UA, what we're going to use as, you know, an NIL uh, you know, paying a player for, for, for name, image, and likeness versus just playing a player to come play for your team. And there's no way that you can decipher which one is which, because like, there's so many people behind the scenes on these teams. There's so many boosters. There's so many people who are willing to pay gross amounts of money in order for, to get the best recruits. So their football team can be, you know, the, the, the best in the country. Right. And so you end up with a situation where everything is being done under the table. And so guys are going around and just, you know, throwing money at people, but you can never really trace it because, you know, it's, it's passing hands however many times you have, you know, people who you'd never think are actually going to be paying these players. They're getting money from other people. They're promising, Hey, go see this guy, go see that. And it's like, all this has been happening again. Like Hayden said, it's been happening forever. Okay. This goes back to the late eighties SMU when they recruited Eric Dickerson, paid him a boatload of money, got him a new car, Trans Am. All right. And it came out later that, yeah, like he was, he, he, you know, received the money illegally. It was against the NCAA regulations because at that point, you, you know, it was like the, like the um, amateur sports law or whatever, which has since been completely, you know, done away with. But at that point, because the NCAA still had regulations over this, they basically just put the kibashi on SMU as a whole. They just, they completely got rid of all their players, all their, you know, bowl eligibility, championship eligibility, all that stuff. And SMU since then has never been what it was before, right? Um, And so you kind of run into the situation where like in the 40 years since that happened, there hasn't been anything else that, you know, any any other team has really even tried to do this out in public because that got public. But here's the thing, it's been going on this whole time anyway okay and the reason and the best way to really know why this or that that this is true you look got to look a little deeper into what jimbo jimbo fisher said okay he was basically like you know right he was saying all this stuff about nick saban you know whatever whatever and he basically at one point was like i know that he's just being mad right now because we got a better recruiting class than him but all along, he's been doing just the same thing that everybody else has yeah. been doing. So Jimbo Fisher's kind of coming at it from a point of a point of view of where, like, now that name, image, and likeness is an actual thing, and we can quote unquote pay players to come to play for our university, I can put it out there in the open. Nobody can really trace the steps, and there's no regulations, so you can do whatever the heck you want to do. And that's what Jimbo Fisher's doing, right? But now he's kind of putting it. So since you know, since Nick Saban you know, got a little bit annoyed and, and, you know, and, and put it out there in the media that, you know, that, that, that uh, Texas A&M bought their players. 
Nick or Jimbo Fisher's kind of like, hey, buddy, I as he'd mentioned, I coached with you at LSU all way, you know, way back when. How do you think we won a championship? How do you think that LSU was so good? And it's basically because uh, you know Nick Saban was the head coach and he was paying players to come play for LSU. And this was in the early 2000s, okay? And so ever since then, Alabama, once Nick Saban went there, has been the best team ever, okay? And the reason is because he's been playing, he's been paying the players to play for Alabama. He has, you know, he has people, he has ways of doing it. He has boosters who keep their mouth shut. He's run the system and run the, you know, this whole operation very effectively so that nobody finds out about it. But the thing is, he's been doing it the entire time. And so now for the first time, he was over, you know, he was passed by Texas A&M who, you know, went nuts on this. And they have, you know, because of the oil money and everything down there in Texas, like, they have bigger boosters. They have people who have more money than just the, you know, the, the rich people in the state of Alabama who are like wanting to make the football team great. Right. So I think Nick Saban is kind of like putting this out there to be like, A, Alabama needs to step, it, step its game up. Right. We've been playing, been paying players for however long now. It's only going to get even crazier, especially if there's going to be no regulations put out by, you know, the Supreme Court or the NCAA or whoever it may be. And so it's only going to continue Alabama needs to step up to the plate and actually, you know, make this so that it doesn't get out of hand every year. Because let's think about it. Texas A&M went eight and four last year. Yes, they beat Alabama, but they made, you know, they, they didn't even get to double digit wins. Obviously, Alabama played for the championship. They lost to Georgia. So what? Right. They're going to be back again. Alabama's probably going to win the championship this year. We, we, we pretty much already know that. All right. But the difference is. Texas A&M got the number one recruiting class. And Hayden said they got the number one recruiting class for this past year. They got, in terms of, you know, net five, and we did an entire segment on this in the podcast earlier, in terms of net overall talent, like just, you know, rated, you know, Nike scores or whatever it may be, Texas A&M this year will enter the highest recruiting class, highest rated recruiting class in the history of college football as an eight and four team last year. What are we doing, people? Okay, so yes, they're paying the players to come and play for their team. But so has Alabama all these years when they've been the best recruiting class, right? And so it's almost this like unspoken thing to where like everybody knows what's been going on in football for this. Well, not everybody, but like the coaches and the player personnel, all the people who were involved in this entire operation, they know that it's been going on for however long now. But now that it's finally, finally come to where Nick Saban got beat just one time. He puts it out in the media and then just thrown every thrown everything gets thrown back at him. And he's like, Oh yeah, wait, I actually kind of messed up here because I've been, I've been doing the same thing all along. So that's kind of my thing on this is like, there's no regulation. So we're just going to see this thing get even more insane, which again, I am all for paying the players. And that's a whole different discussion. We're going to do that over the summer, obviously uh, in our, in our kind of mini series there, but like, that's where we're ending up with this thing. And, it, and it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, so here's another thing I can compare it just really quick and then I'll hand it over to Mitchell. But like we go back to 2012, 2013, when uh, Ole Miss was coached by Hugh Freeze and Texas A&M was coached by Kevin Sumlin. OK, and we think about it. Who? Mm, let's see who played for Texas A&M in 2012. Johnny football. OK, Johnny Manson. He beat Alabama. All right. Ole Miss, when they had the Sharks defense, the I whatever that was, Ole Miss beat Alabama. You know how they did so? Because they were in the spread offense. And again, this was over 10 years ago. OK. And so what happened? Nick Saban came out and he was like, I'm annoyed that all these teams are beating me with the spread offense because it's basically a cheat code in all football. And now we've seen even, the, you know, even the pro teams are kind of moving to that style of offense. So what do we end up with here? Nick Saban was basically like, OK, sure. If you guys want to play this game, then we can play this game because I know for a fact 
that if we want to make football become, you know, the spread offense or what we know is, you know, kind of the, you know, pass heavy leagues and whatever. Sure. But I'm just going to let you know that if we want to make football like that, we totally can, but Alabama is still going to beat you with it. And that's exactly what happened. The problem is this is a different situation. Okay. Because back then, as I've mentioned, Nick Saban, Alabama, all these great football teams were already paying their players to get there. They just, it wasn't basically like quote unquote legalized for that to happen yet. And so all he had to do was just continue the regular operations that he was running and get the best players, turn it into the spread offense and continue winning championships. But if you have more money behind your program, you have unlimited potential to get the best recruits in the nation now. And so now that it's not under the table anymore, there's potentially some other teams that can step up here who have more money behind the program, who can actually, you know, make a run at Alabama. So I think this is like a, almost like a, like a, like a cry for help almost by Nick Saban, just being like, Hey, this is actually kind of a bad thing. And he's so upset. And it's, I guess it's, you know, it's affecting him so much that he just kind of accidentally let it all fly in the, in the media day. So I know I just talked for like 20 minutes there, but hopefully that, kind of gives a better picture of what's going on here and, and, and kind of the effect that this is going to have. And obviously, like I said, we'll do our whole, you know, our whole NIL and, and, and paying college players and whatever before, but this is kind of what's behind that whole new story that we're hearing about. It's not just like, you know, two really good head coaches, you know, you know, being butthurt and talking about each other behind their backs. Like, no, this is way deeper. Oh yeah. I don't have as much to say about NIL, but, or the, the save and beef necessarily. But what I will say is, Already we're, we're seeing just like the over-the-table stuff that has basically no limits now. So quick example that I literally Googled and figured out while Matt was talking was that – so Bo Nix, obviously Auburn quarterback, was going to go there his whole life. Like it was already set in stone. So this one, they have plausible deniability. But his first major NIL deal was with Milo Sweet Tea, right? And if you look up the CEO of Milo Sweet Tea, it's this lady, and I don't necessarily know how to pronounce her name. I'm going to try it. Tracia Wallwork is a graduate of the university or Auburn University. So you can only imagine she's a fan and that even though Bo Nix was already there at the school and clearly committed to the school, that is going to just open up the entire door for even people from smaller schools with a notable alumni. Why wouldn't they be like, hey, I am the CEO of this company based out of here. We're going to sponsor you for you to come to my little school like Jackson State, not necessarily the same idea, same example, but Similar. So like you said, it's just limitless, opens an entire new facet of college recruiting. And I think it personally, I don't think it's going to be necessarily the best shift. I think the NCAA really needs to rewrite their rules because as of right now, NIL is only mentioned in real writing in the NCAA's constitution five times. That's not nearly enough to figure out all these different rules that they actually need to govern the people properly. There you go. Some politics right there for uh, from from Mitchell and the the NCAA. I didn't even know that, that the NCAA had a constitution. I mean, I guess it it makes sense, but I feel like it would be like eighty pages worth of words that I wouldn't want to read. But yeah, I mean that's that's a good point that NIL was only mentioned five times throughout, and it should be mentioned more because again, yeah, it's it's going to become like pretty much at least for football and basketball, it's going to become pretty much the biggest part of all of college sports. It's just going to be all about money by now. And Matt made a great point and, and Mitchell kind of built off of it. It's just that like the consensus here is that the NIL rules were just totally rushed. It seemed like nobody thought about the kind of consequences and the implications that NIL would have on the NCAA and college sports in general. And so they just threw it in there. They're like, Oh yeah, college athletes can get paid for, 
these reasons, you know, name, image, and likeness, again, those three words can be, they're so vague and so generic. They can be applied to almost any aspect of a college athlete's career. So it's just, it you can't just throw in, uh, you know, a policy like NIL to college sports and expect it to kind of, you know, run smoothly. Obviously, there was, there's going to be some hiccups. There's going to, you know, any new rule or any new kind of instituted problem or instituted thing into a, into any kind of organization is going to have some flaws. And we're seeing that brew up right now, but it's like, these are pretty big flaws because they're, you know, it's, it's involving money that could go elsewhere. You know, the supposed a million dollars, which I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that Deion Sanders gave Travis Hunter, a million dollars for him to go to Jackson state. But what I am saying is like, if that is remotely true, there's, there's no reason why a player should be. And again, like Matt said, I'm all for players getting paid, but like when you start paying players to, to come to college and play for you again, you have no idea how they're going to stack up against the rest of the competition. Now, Travis Hunter is a different I mean, he's kind of a different case because he's going to Jackson State, which plays lesser competition than a team like Alabama. And Travis Hunter is already the best recruit. So it's like he's, you know, he's preparing or he would be preparing to play the best of the best. And he should be playing the best of the best, but he's going to be going up against lesser competition. So I guess it's kind of from him, like in, in his case, you would say, okay, well, it makes more sense to pay him because you know, he's going to be good no matter what, like, you know, he's going to be dominant because he's probably playing, you know, some better competition in high school at this point than, than he will be playing at Jackson state. But again, it's like the guys that are going to be going to an Alabama or going to be going to an LSU or Texas A&M, you like, you don't know how they're going to perform. Some guys just, you know, are a bust out of high school and they don't really do anything in college. Um, same, you know, we see more of that from college to NFL, obviously, because it's very tough to go to the professional level from college. But name, image, and likeness is not something that should be a. It's like it's going to be abused to the point where, again, we're already seeing it. Um, it's you know, people guys are going to get paid a bunch of money, you know, five hundred thousand plus dollars to come to a school, and you know they're going to get new cars and you know a new house even, and they're going to you know, either, either get like hurt really bad or they're going to, they're just not really going to turn out to be as good. And that's going to be a bunch of blown money that could have been spent somewhere else. So I just think it's, I think that part of NIL is pretty bogus. Again, like Matt said, this whole thing is a lot deeper than it looks from the outside. It's not just like, Oh, I'm Nick Saban is getting mad because Jimbo Fisher is paying players and he's just being butthurt about it. It's like, no, this is real money that's going places where we don't even really know how it's going to turn out. Right. Like we, we don't know if these players are going to be providing the entertainment that they're expected to provide right out of high school. So that's um, that's my take on it. If you guys have any, have anything else to say, you can, um, or else we can move on to the NBA. Matt, do you have anything else? Not really. Again, I could talk about this forever, but essentially like, and kind of what you were saying about where sometimes the players aren't going to pan out here's the thing though, right. Is that, and, and you kind of even said at the beginning too, where the coaches like, Oh, the coaches can play like the, the coaches, none of the coaches, none of the schools, none of the, and the NCAA, like no, no one like associated employed or facilitated with the university is paying these guys. It's all boosters. It's like, like what Mitchell said, right? Like 
you know, companies who are in the area or recent grads or famous people or other players of the football team who just, you know, are kind of coming back and wanting to see the play, the, the, the team do well, that's what's driving this NIL thing. So to be honest, like from, to a certain extent, like, you know, it, it's not like a professional sports league where you have a salary cap and you have a collective bargaining agreement where, you know, you're paying the players a certain amount of money. And if you pay a guy a bunch of money and he doesn't pan out, well, they, you know, that's a wasted asset on the team's perspective. But this is not anything to do with any of the football teams. This is like a rich guy in Texas who owns an oil company and he's selling out a million dollars, you know, for these players. And so that's kind of where you get into the fact of like, yeah, you know, if Hay what Hayden said, like a great, you know, a, a, you know, insane recruit, he comes in, he's either not that great or maybe he gets hurt and he's just never the same again he never plays like he made a million dollars but like it's not his fault that the oil company guy you know ceo paid him it, he that's just happened and so like that's that's money that the oil company guy is wasting but it's like all for the betterment of the football team and so it's like that's why i'm saying is none of this is regulated but at the same time like you can't really because it's like the guy the the the, the way that these players are receiving money doesn't have anything to do with the ncaa it doesn't have anything to do with the schools and so that's kind of where this whole thing gets tricky but Again, I could go on for hours about this, but we need to talk about the NBA now. All right. Well, let's move right into the NBA. And so this segment is going to be more about, it's going to be about Marcus Smart, but I think it's going to kind of turn into more of a segment about the Celtics in general. And why not talk about the Celtics? I mean, everybody that the Celtics have been like the hottest topic of the playoffs so far. I mean, now I guess it's the Mavericks because of, you know, of, of them beating the Suns and Luca's magic and everything like that, that Matt talked about in the last episode. But yeah, so basically last night, Thursday night, again, um, you're probably listening to this when last night was not Thursday night, but Thursday night um, after the game between the Celtics and the heat, the Celtics won by, I don't know, I think it was around 30 or something like that. And it was crazy. Cause like the heat were up by, they, they got off to a 10 point lead pretty early in the game. It was 18 to eight. And then, the Celtics went on like a 31 point run in the next, I don't know, like quarter and a half. And, you know, they, they were up, I think 25 or 30 at halftime. They had scored 70 points or something like that. So yeah, that was, that was crazy to watch. But after the game, basically um, there was a lot of stuff on Twitter and just kind of in the sports media world in general that was saying that Marcus smart is now the, the real key to the Celtics success. And he had a huge game last night and he almost had a triple double. He had like 24 points. I think he had nine assists and then, or no, he had nine rebounds and then 12 assists. I'm pretty sure. So he was really close to a triple double. Um, obviously he played great defense. because He was the, he, he won defensive uh, player of the year this year. And he, yes, he was the, I think he was like the first point guard or first pure point guard since Gary Payton to do so. Um, in the mid in the mid nineties, but people are now saying that Marcus smarts value is just going way above and beyond his stat line for each game. If you guys kind of, you know, if, if you guys have looked at Marcus smarts uh, stat lines, I, I guess across the whole regular season and in the playoffs, he's been a little bit better in the playoffs, especially cause he's, I mean, he's missed, I think he's missed a couple games, but other than that, I mean, he's been better than he was in the regular season In the regular season. He only I think he averaged 12 points or so. Um, but again, his, I mean, his thing is defense. Like that's, that's his value. And defense is one of those things, especially in, in basketball where you, it's kind of hard to judge by stats, especially because like, yeah, like steals and blocks are pretty much the only stats that you can kind of 
judge defense by um, on a stat sheet. But if you watch the game, obviously, you know, if Marcus Smart is locking guys up left and right, then he's helping the team in that way. So I haven't been watching the Celtics much over the past week because, again, I, I didn't have I wasn't able to on the cruise. And so um, but I mean, I watched it. I watched the Celtics a lot kind of towards the beginning of the playoffs. So I was able to get more of a, of an idea of why Marcus Smart won defensive player of the year, because he is great on defense, but I think people got a little bit kind of like excited last night over this again, last night he had, he had a great game. Um, but I think that was because he was better on offense than he usually is. And he's always great on defense. And so p- player, I mean, uh, people all around the world are like, Oh, well, Marcus Smart is now, you know, the key to their success. And, I'm not saying that they're leaving out Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the other stars on the Celtics, but it's a little bit weird now that people are like, Oh, Marcus smart. He's, you know, it's, it seems like people are are kind of calling him the best on, on the Celtics team in terms of like, who's going to lead them to a championship. I personally, I don't really think I think that Marcus smart is going to be the one that leads the, the Celtics to a championship, but I'm going to pose this question to either Matt or Mitchell, whichever one of you wants to, um, wants to contribute first here, but I'm going to ask, is this an overreaction by the media for just one game or do people really have a point here about Marcus smart being kind of the X factor on the Celtics team? I don't know. I, I don't think he's as important as people are making him out to be. I don't even think he would have, he should have won defensive player of the year. I don't really know how he got it. It was kind of random, but I, 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 yes, he's a very scrappy player. He always has been. Okay. He played at Oklahoma state. There's a college guy. I should have asked Hayden because I always. Hey, no, no, I, I would have known, known that one too. I thought about it before this podcast and uh-huh. I was actually expecting you to ask me, but that's all right. You didn't. Okay. Well, I did. Where'd Jalen Brown go to college? Hayden? You see, I don't know that one, but okay. uh, yeah, I didn't look up Marcus Smart just to say, I, I, I did know that he went to Oklahoma state, but I don't know. Jalen Brown went to Cal just for future reference. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank Wait, you. Jason Tatum go to college. Hayden. You got another. Uh, oh my God. Come on. Uh, I don't know. What did he went to Duke? All right. So here's what we're saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, he's always been Marcus Smart. He's always been a very scrappy player. He's always been in the mix. He's diving on the ground. He's going in hard, you know, into the paint. Um, and, and he can defend one through four. I won't say one through five, but you know, in certain circumstances, he like he wouldn't be able to defend Giannis or Bam, all right, in this series. But um, the, you know, he he is very versatile defender and so that's why you know where Hayden kind of said right you know you're not you don't see a point guard win defensive player of the year really ever because you know you a lot of times you'll see you know obviously I mean Rudy Gobert has won it however many times Giannis won it twice Giannis has won it twice you know guys who who are interior defenders who block a lot of shots and get a lot of rebounds that's I mean which makes sense those are kind of the two most important things on the defensive end right um so so you know securing those rebounds and then obviously you know kind of rejecting shots uh you know that could potential be potential points for the opposing team so that was the surprise I think to begin with but but now here's the thing all right I think that Marcus Smart is probably the glue guy for this Celtics team who does have playoff experience but as we saw kind of earlier in the year they were really struggling I mean they were you know they, they were not supposed to make the playoffs at all turns out you know here they are with a two seed and probably you know really good chance to to, to win the NBA championship realistically right so obviously a lot of that was due to uh you know to, to the kind of the you know they the coach Odoka got behind them he really motivated them to play harder they kind of found the rhythm and here they are but I don't think Marcus Smart should be given all the credit for this I mean right you know he's he's a great player and, and you know and last night he shot the ball really well but that was kind of the other part of my argument here is like 
the Celtics looked really good last night, okay? And Marcus Smart had a really good game. But it's because they shot the absolute lights out of the ball. They went 20 for 40 from three. Like, if you're shooting 50% from three in a game and you're taking 40 shots, like, you're going to win that game. It, it just comes down to the simple fact that basketball is a game of runs, and if you're making your shots, the other team can't really do anything about it. I mean, Miami is a ferocious defensively-minded team. You know, they got they got tough guys who are out there and want to play their you know play their butts off every game. But this is just a situation where every time you know you saw someone get into the lane, you know they do a crazy little step back, one off one foot shot, like straight through the basket, right? So it was just one of those games. I think that was just a little bit you know unfortunate for Miami because the Celtics just, you know, right. Shot, shot, shot the ball. Like, you know, like, like nothing else. And so I think that Marcus Smart was very much the beneficiary beneficiary of that because simply because Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown didn't have a crazy game. I mean, let's think about it. If Jason Tatum scored 40 last night, how much would we hear about Marcus Smart? Yes. He had a great, you know, he had a great game offensively. He's always been a glue guy defensively. He's a scrappy player. I get all that. But what I'm saying is like, he's not the star of the team. He's not the reason that they're going to win the championship. If the Celtics do not have Jason Tatum, they're not even here right now. Okay. Because all the 40 point games that he had against the Bucks and everything that he's been doing, you know, clutch shots at the end of games and all that stuff, getting to the, getting to the free throw line. That's great. And obviously, you know, you're like, Matt, that's a stupid argument. If you don't have five players, you don't have your best play. Yes, I get that. But what I'm saying is like, people are making it out to be like Marcus Smart's the best player on the Celtics. He's clearly not. He's the third best player, maybe even the fourth best player. Um, But, but I do think that his kind of, you know, his, his enigma, his personality, the way that he plays is important to a team that makes a deep run. Okay. Like, you know, whatever it was like five or six years ago, you know, we saw the, the Warriors win the NBA finals and Andre Iguodala won MV, you know, finals MVP. Uh, and he was coming off the bench. Right. And it was just one of those situations where it was kind of just a perfect storm of like, not one player had a great series. Andre Iguodala had way, a way better series than everyone expected. And, you know, and, and, and here we are. So I, I think that that's kind of the situation that we're running into here, but it's like, we can't give him all the credit when like, you know, yes, he's a motivating person. He plays, he plays, you know, extremely hard and without him, they wouldn't be here, but it's also like, he's not the one who's carrying the team. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. Mitchell, what do you think? So I like the the comparison to Draymond Green here because he's a player that I personally really love watching him play because he's not necessarily a big stat sheet guy, obviously not as much an offensive threat as you'd see. And they play very different positions, but the, the comparison between them is that they can defend a lot more than the numbers say. And I don't know if you guys are big into the the newer stats, advanced stuff like that, but I'm a big fan of like per 100 possession stuff because you can get defensive rating, right? So defense is rating, defensive rating, rating, pardon me, is an estimate of points allowed per 100 possessions on them. Because like you were saying, you don't necessarily need to get like three blocks, three steals a game to be a defense player of the year. That's always Rudy Gobert's argument, but I've seen countless times him just get exposed for 40 in a game because he can't defend against like Jokic or well, no one can defend against like Giannis. So we'll let him be on his own, but defensive rating of Draymond green per, I think I set my criteria for 2015 through 18. So during the warriors, good run there, his defensive rating was 100 and Marcus smarts through this past season alone has been 110. So that's not a very big difference. Um, like, necessarily over that long a span but if that's the comparison you want to make you can't you can't compare Marcus Smart to the quality of player of Draymond Green because he's a good defender he can't defend the fifth position and he's getting way too much of the the hype in my opinion right now because 
although if he's locking someone up, quote unquote, they might never get the ball, but what are the odds he's going to actually be guarding and locking up a team's best player? It, like he is limited by the person he is. Granted, I'm sure he's a huge locker room guy and obviously brings energy consistently, but I think he's a very, not overrated defender, but a limited defender. So I think his impact is definitely being exaggerated by the media and by himself because he loves to, loves to talk, but great player, great defender, incredible that a guard won defensive player of the year. I don't necessarily know if he deserves to win it. Like you said, you should, you think it should have gone somewhere else, but I think he has a defensive edge that not a lot of players have, which is why he likes to talk. Because like I said, if he's defending well, the ball is not coming his way. Unless they're like posting him up, it's not coming his way because he's fighting through everything. And he makes the game a lot harder on possessions where he might full court press or, or just be, be a menace when in the backcourt just to, to tire him out a little bit more. So, yeah, I think, I think his greatest value is definitely in not on the stat sheet and way more someone who probably knows basketball a little better than I do can speak on this more, but he's a player you'd hate to play against because he's, he's going to tire you out the whole game. So I think he's, he's very, he's got a reason to be talking this much smack, but the media is definitely overreacting and people just need to maybe humble themselves a little bit as far as Marcus smart. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Mitchell. And you bring up a good point. Cause it's like, unless you're on the Celtics team, you can't really evaluate how much of a locker room guys, he guy he is, or how much, I guess, motivation he gives the team. And I'm sure he does give, you know, he's, he's probably like the most high wired guy on the team in terms of, um, you know, motivation and, and kind of bringing the Celtics through the playoffs. And in that sense, yeah, you can say, okay, well, he's like a, a good leader in the locker room and he's going to lead the team to a championship in that sense. But you can't like, if you say in general, people are going to automatically think, okay, well, he's going to be putting up 30 every night, but that's not true. That's, that's Jason Tatum. That's Jalen Brown. Right. So like, and I, I, I wanted to give a little bit of a, a stat comparison here. Again, people are saying that, or the whole argument is that, well, he's not going to put up numbers on the stat sheet, but it's like these numbers that I'm about to show that I'm about to give you are significantly different. And if you, you know, if you're arguing, okay, well, Marcus smart is more of a leader than anything else. Then, like you numbers don't lie. Right. That's what, that's the saying. So um, I'm just going to get into this real quick. So basically again, people are arguing for the playoffs, but I, I want to give regular season stats because there's, there's more averages and the averages are kind of more reliable, I guess, or there was more games played in the regular season than there have been in the, in the playoffs. So I'm just going to go sample size is how we say it. Yes. Yeah, samples. There, there we go. go. Um, right. Jalen, uh, yeah. Um, Jason Tatum went to Duke that, by the way, I didn't, I don't know if you guys knew that, but, uh, Peyton Pritchard go to college, Jamie. huh? Or Peyton Pritchard go to college. He went to Oregon. I know there that. Okay. There you go. Right. Peyton Pritchard. So you're yeah. two for two or you're two for four. So yeah, we'll take 50% there. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, anyway, these stats, uh, coming up here. So, in the regular season, um, Marcus Smart and I'm going to do a little comparison between Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown because they're they play similar positions. So Marcus Smart, uh, he averaged 32 minutes per game. Marcus, um, I mean Jalen Brown averaged 33 minutes per game. So it's a difference of one minute. Obviously, Jalen Brown uh, averaged one minute per game more than Marcus Smart. Um, Jalen Brown averaged twice as many points. Again, like we said, he's not Marcus Smart isn't much of an of an offensive player. So that's kind of understandable. I'll give him some slack on that. Um, but in terms of 
defensive stats, I guess you could say. So rebound, we'll go rebound steals and blocks here. So rebounds, um, Marcus Smart had averaged three less rebounds than Jalen Brown did on the season. Uh, in terms of steals, Marcus Smart uh, averaged half a steal more than Jalen Brown um, across the season. He averaged 1.7. Jalen Brown averaged 1.1. So half a steal, it's like it's a sort of a good amount, but not really that big. I mean, not much bigger than you would you know expect a defensive player of the year to have over a teammate that isn't really known for his defense. And then they had the same amount of blocks per game across the whole regular season. So that just going off the stat line, that's again, like we said, the argument, it really isn't much for the stat line, but going off of that, it's just like, I don't know if Marcus, like Marcus, just if you don't put up numbers, you can't be saying that he's going to lead a team to a championship. Um, Again, it's, in terms of leadership, he may, but um, just going off of those numbers, I don't think that you can make that kind of claim. In the playoffs, Marcus Smart has been better, but, I mean, we've seen Jalen Brown hasn't scored uh, below double digits, I think. Well, I'm looking at the – I'm looking ever since the last the last Nets game or when they swept the Nets, so game four of the Nets uh, series, Jalen Brown hasn't scored lower than double-digit points in any of those games. He's had um, – I mean, he's had double-digit rebounds in two of those games. Pretty much, he's had more than five rebounds in about every one of those games since that last um, Nets series game. So, yeah, in, in terms of comparing Marcus Smart to Jalen Brown, I would say that Jalen Brown is definitely helping Celtics more um, in terms of winning a championship and in terms of scoring points, which is how you win games. So um, I think the whole Marcus Smart thing is is a little bit, kind of phony here but i mean that's not to say that marcus smart again is is not um you know a, an important player on their team it's just i don't think that he should be getting the credit that he is getting all right well with that being said we can round out this episode um episode 52 again i i forgot so we did the 50th episode matt and i did it before right before i went on my cruise so it was it was friday or last friday and i totally forgot to mention that it was the 50th episode and I was I, w- I was making sure that we got that episode out before I went on my cruise because I wanted to be on the 50th episode because, you know, it's 50th episode of season two. It's kind of a kind of a big milestone. If you think about it in terms of like hours of podcast that you guys have listened to, it's about 50 hours. So that's more than two full days of podcasts that we've put out. That's pretty cool to think about it that way. But but yeah, we're going to sign off for today. Again, huge thanks to Mitchell for coming on um, this this episode. Again, it was kind of a different thing Matt and I haven't really talked about soccer at all um this whole season and so it was cool to to bring Mitchell on and and talk about it with him today he was really knowledgeable about the stuff um and we will definitely have Mitchell on for future things maybe not even soccer maybe just a little little cowboy segment if we have it because he's a big cowboys fan so <laughs> yeah we'll, I might we may have that during that segment but we'll see if Jerry Jones gets fired please have me on and I will I will literally sing woes i'll be so happy (laughs) let's go well there you go um but yeah that's gonna be it for today hope you guys enjoyed we will be back on most likely tuesday again our our schedule i said that we would stick to tuesday saturday schedule once i um once i finish school but we haven't really been doing that we've kind of been doing the opposite so I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, definitely expect to hear from us, uh, you know, kind of to Monday, Tuesday range, and then Friday, Saturday range. That'll be kind of the, 
um, theme. I mean, the common days from here on out. So yeah, look to hear from us on Mon- either Monday or Tuesday. And I hope you guys have a great weekend and we will catch you guys then. <laughs>